This week comes news of another publisher closing, and Jeff regales us with tales from his writer's group. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 21 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. So, Jeff. <laughs> yes, Will. <laughs> from what I understand, you have uh, finished up some projects this week. Yeah, one project uh, wrapped itself up pretty well. Uh, I had a short story that I worked on during one of my L.A. trips back, mm-hmm. I think it was January's. And I did, I, I shelved it because I had some work to do on Codename Winger to actually get it, you know, ready for beta. Well, it's, well, that's been in beta. I've come back to this story, finished up the edits on it, and it will actually land on your desk within the next day or two mm-hmm. um, as I get those ed- edits put back into Scrivener. Okay. So, also got some news this week. One of my people reading uh, the Codename Winger, Winger uh, beta liked it. So... <laughs> Thumbs up there. Uh, just some initial feedback, not not you know a big bulk of it by any means, but at least the initial feedback was that it didn't suck. That's good. So I appreciated that. Yay for not sucking. Yes. How was your week? Uh, my week was fine. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary to report. Right. So well, that's uh, good. Yeah. So I did finish a book this week. Too. Mm-hmm. I finally finished Stolen Suitor uh, by Eli Easton, which is either three or four in the Dreamspun series. I forget. I mentioned last week that I really liked the book, yeah. uh, where I was as I was approaching the, the last quarter of it. Um, and yeah, I I totally fell in love with it. I love the fact that there's, you've got a primary plot with uh, Jeremy and Chris figuring everything out and having the primary romance. But then there's this other romance with Jeremy's brother and this uh, rancher widow that takes place too that you get to watch on the side. And it's just, it's really nice. I loved it. Okay. I think it's, of the three, I mean, I've loved all three Dream Spuns I've read so far, but I think this one just kind of nudges itself into the top spot for me. Cool. So I've got an entire review over on jeffandwell.com that I'll link to in the show notes. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, I also read a book this week. Um, today, I mean, this week, um, it was a nonfiction title. It was called Writing to the Point by someone named Algis Boudries. That's a name. And that is his real name. Wow. The um If you have that kind of cool name, why would you change it? <laughs> That's awesome. So, um writing to the point is a classic um writing t- uh a writing book. It's a, a how-to book. And Algis Boudries is uh well respected within the sci-fi community. He's one of those old school guys and writing to the point was his uh, take on writing fiction and uh, his how-to tome. It was released uh, sometime in the mid-80s, and A.B., as his friends called him, uh, used um, the techniques in that book to teach uh, classes and workshops and seminars throughout the years. Um, The reason I was interested in this particular book is that... um, Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush were friends with A.B. And uh, the the storytelling techniques that they teach uh, have their genesis in what um, Algis Boudry 
teaches. So I wanted to go back essentially to this original source and see uh, what he had to say uh, about some of the uh, techniques that Dean and, and Chris uh, support and espouse. Um, the book has been slightly updated. Um, they mention in the beginning of the book that there are some, you know, since it was, you know, released in the 80s, there were some anachronisms. So they changed, you know, typewriter to laptop and things like that. <laughs> but mainly the bulk of the information of the book is uh, the same. And most of it is still applicable, uh, including the um, stuff he has to say about story and structure. Um by the way, the, the seven-point story structure that uh, Dean Wesley uh, Smith teaches in his uh, Ideas to Story workshop and Writing and Selling Short Stories workshop, um, uh, both, um, both of those workshops sort of build on what A.B. teaches. And that, that information was still solid and valid. Um, there was some other stuff that just kind of left me scratching my head. There's uh, a short chapter in this book about agents um, that is so out of date and so mm. wrong and frankly toxic. I don't understand how they could have, you know, in good conscience still included it. Mm without some sort of asterisk like next to it you know like like in baseball when someone you know they find out someone's been doping so they put an asterisk next to their name in the hall of fame or whatever i really feel that you know they should put an asterisk next to this entire chapter because what was once acceptable and appropriate uh and really the only way to do things uh the old way back in the day is uh, you had to go through agents right. and and the big five and um, that that uh, none of that advice uh, is appropriate anymore uh, and like I said it's downright it's toxic so um, the book in 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 summary I guess I think the book was was fine I actually believe that um, what Dean and Chris teach in their workshops is um, better. I think they extrapolate the uh, information um, better and present it in a, uh, gosh. <laughs> I think they, expa they expand on that information uh, in a much better, much better way than the original source material. So while I'm glad that I, uh, experienced the original source material um i don't necessarily recommend it uh i prefer uh dean and chris's teachings on this particular subject no okay. that's fair so there you go uh to kind of completely switch topics we've talked about the books now we'll move on to the tv a little bit mm -hmm. uh, can i just say that i am totally like going through a withdrawal of hallmark movies <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at how they programmed for us across the month, you know, with Halloween started the push towards Thanksgiving, which led towards getting into Christmas, which led into Winterfest, which went into Valentine's Day, and we were getting an original romantic movie 
slash holiday movie at least every Saturday, and sometimes Saturday and Sunday, especially around Christmas and leading into Valentine's Day. Since Valentine's Day, there's been nothing. Not one new original movie. I don't care about these series, at least not at this point. Wind Calls the Heart may be great for some people. I'm not there. Um, I'm interested in the one that Jesse Metcalf is in, like in July, because it's Jesse Metcalf, and who doesn't want to look at him? Yeah. But oh my god, I'm missing the Hallmark movies. I'm so I'm sorry. It makes me sad. Jeff has a sad. I have a sad. <laughs> um, but what we did watch recently was the six episode event of the X Files. Mm-hmm. Um, I admit I was I watched the X Files back in the day. Um, I did not carry on very much after Jillian and David left, and you know Robert Patrick and Annabelle Gish, I believe, came in. Um, I did watch the first theatrical film, but did not see the second, mm-hmm. although I would li- wouldn't mind seeing the second. Um, I was excited about the X-Files. I felt like we were getting something cool with that. I felt like we were getting a six... Ep- oh, and I should mention before we get too far into this, we're going to try and be spoiler free here, but if you want to hear nothing about the X-Files, you might want to jump forward. Just saying. <laughs> Fair warning. Um, I felt like we were going to get a six-episode closed story. Mm-hmm. And boy, that didn't happen. Mm-mm. Big-ass cliffhanger there at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, with now Fox saying they'd love more X-Files and maybe a movie too. Oh, yay. But mm, I don't feel like they gave me what I thought I was getting based on the advertising leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Um. If I'd read the blurb for that book, <laughs> I don't think I got the book I paid for. Um, and it's odd because I liked the four episodes that were bookended by what seemed to be the bigger story. Individually, they reminded me a lot of classic X-Files episodes and what they did there. But as a package, I was bummed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I'll come back if there's more. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. We, we talked about this earlier. I don't feel like I was given what we were promised. Um, it's, and it's all about audience expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, now this doesn't mean that this wasn't a quality show and that I didn't enjoy aspects of the show. I think the show was still, uh, very well written and very well produced in the vein of the original series. Uh, I love Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was wonderful to see them back on screen with these same characters. Um, I thought both of them were really terrific. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's one of the... T- sorry to interrupt, but it's one of the things that makes me less annoyed about spending six hours with something I didn't get what I expected. Yeah. They pulled it off so that I'm not a totally annoyed fan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest problem was is that this wasn't a a six-episode, for the most part. It wasn't a six-episode story arc. Mm -hmm. It was six, essentially, individual episodes. Um, Well, it was six episodes with bookends. The first and the last connected. (coughs) I don't feel like there was a connection to the middle four. No. So, I... 
So while the show itself was good, um, it didn't live up to uh, what we thought we were getting. Um, and it wasn't a, a closed series. The finale is incredibly open-ended. Uh, annoyingly so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. I, yeah. So it... So not, not satisfying at all. No. When, um, when there's no uh, official word... If it's actually ever going to come back, see, I can't. I find it so very hard to believe that they would leave it so purposefully open ended when, you know, when you don't know, when you don't know if it's going to come back. I mean, look at. I mean, it took all this time for the stars to align to get this show back on the air. Yeah, uh, is it? You know, I mean, is it possible that they're gonna do more? I mean, isn't the common isn't it common knowledge that Jillian and David aren't exactly you know best buds? They're not best friends, <laughs> um, so uh, they may both have been reluctant to come back and do the show again. And there's certainly been what Jillian's talked about with uh, the pay discrepancy between her and David too and she may not choose to fight that battle again yeah that's very true as well so uh, I do have to say too while we, we called out David and Jillian that I absolutely loved uh, Robbie Amell mm. and Lauren Ambrose oh who God, showed up so in the last two of the six episodes yes maybe it could just come back with them it's possible X-Files the next generation yeah it feels like that's what they were trying to set up but so I think overall it was a good-ish experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm, yeah, that that final cliffhanger f- finale is kind of a big fuck you to the audience. Oh, look at you making us put an explicit on the episode this, well, this week. Well, it was. <laughs> That's what it was. So yeah, yeah, it was. As I read more than one comment, and I can't speak from personal experience because we did not finish lost but a lot of people kind of categorized it as like how how damon and jj kind (laughs) of stuck it to the lost fans at the end too god lost what a clusterfuck i swear oh there's a double double explosion for us this (laughs) week well it was we all know it (laughs) anyway anyway um (laughs) so the gay romance world lost a publisher this week Yes, they did. As on uh, this past, I believe it was Friday, mm-hmm. that Sam Hain announced that they were going to shut their doors. Yes. They did not put an end date on it, mm-hmm. and they seemed to be going out with a lot of grace, at least in the initial announcement, the way it sounds like they're headed out. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a blow to the to the industry, although maybe not a gigantic one, yeah. as we were kind of talking about it yesterday. Yeah, um... Unlike uh, Amber Allure, who announced in January that they were closing, uh, Amber Allure had a very specific end date. Um, they're going to be shutting down at the end of March. Um, Sam Hain has essentially, uh, it seems it's very open-ended. The, the letter that they released to all their authors um, seemed that, you know, saying it was really a, a graceful way of saying you know 
thanks for the memories. <laughs> uh, it's like we're, but we're essentially winding down now with no actual um, closing date mentioned. So it could be um, several months. It could be the end of 2016. We don't really know um, from a business standpoint what their plans um, with that are specifically. Um, but I think this also goes back to um, some of the tough times the um, small publishing uh, industry has been having. Um, something that we touched on when we spoke to J.M. Snyder uh, a couple of episodes ago. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Sam, did I just call them Shamhain? Did I? I For some reason, whenever I say their name, I always want to put an H in there, like Shammy or something <laughs> like that. Uh, Samhain. That's Samhain. Okay, so, yeah. So, um, now, 10 years ago when they first opened, um, they had a, a very solid business model that worked for them uh, for quite a while and they were very very successful but I think I think m maybe that uh, this is all supposition on my part of course um, they became locked into that specific business model and weren't able to pivot or change with the times not only because of what uh, Amazon has brought to the bookselling party, but the expectations of readers and their uh, new reading and buying habits. Uh, those have definitely changed over the last 10 years. So I don't think uh, in, you know, we should raise our pitchforks and torches against Amazon. I don't think that's the main culprit. I think... Um, once again, this is pure supposition on my part. It's that they seem to have found uh, a business model that worked for them and they stuck with that when they may have, um, made have should have tried to have been more flexible. Yeah. And to be fair, it may have snuck up on them. I mean, we know from talking to JM that you know, a good part of her business is trying to, like, read the tea leaves of the future. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and it's not always easy. It's a very strange and fast-moving time, yeah. and it's and, hard and when, for everybody. And really, when Amazon... This is the one thing I would say against Amazon, is that they're not good at necessarily telling people how to dodge and pivot with them. But that's not their responsibility. They just, they just go off and do it. Well... It, I think it's difficult when you've got like a zillion self-publishers and, and small businesses out there doing their thing. And I'm not saying they, I, a little more on their part would help. They don't have to do it for sure, but they could be potentially better partners. Mm. Think like how Kobo and, and, and Smashwords to a degree kind of work with their authors more. That's Amazon's bigger than that because they do more than books, but... Well, yes. Amazon is what it is, so it's hard to raise your pitchforks against it. No. No, I, I don't think this is a, yeah. a cause for a particular outcry. Yeah, and I, and I don't mean to imply that it is. I'm just saying Amazon could do better at helping you wrap your head around what they're doing, but they don't have to. No, they don't. Yeah. They don't have to, and they shouldn't, because that's not their job. 
I don't. I don't agree. With you don't that. agree. That's I'm fine. Sorry. <laughs> we are allowed to disagree with each other. <laughs> now, oh. something we can't agree on is how awesome Chris Fox is doing. How's that for a segue? Oh, um, you're so smooth. Twenty-four thousand words he's written in five days. Yeah. So my mind can't, can't, can't hardly comprehend that. It's very impressive. Yeah. Um, now, in the previous episode of, of the podcast, I brought up author Chris Fox. And his attempt to write a complete novel in 21 days. Not just write, but publish. Write and, that's true, write and publish. Um, He is now on day five, uh, as Jeff mentioned, and he is almost 25,000 words into his sci-fi novel. Um, You can follow along with Chris at chrisfoxwrites.com slash challenge. Um, And he's been doing uh, a series of videos to... uh, to show everyone just how he's has he's doing what he's doing and then the techniques and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Uh, something Chris brought up is he was surprised by the number of other authors who are shadowing him, uh, who are also taking part in their own 21-day challenge, one of whom is a guy named Kevin McLaughlin. He's also a sci-fi writer. And he is uh, doing the same challenge. He's writing a book in 21 days. Uh, and he is uh, detailing the entire process on his own website. Uh, he, um, his techniques are a little bit different uh, than Chris's. And he goes into that in some of his blog posts. Um, so, yeah. I should say that um, the, the fact that we bring... Uh, this particular story up here on this podcast um, doesn't mean that um, what I'm trying to say is to the best of my knowledge Chris Fox is not gay he certainly does not write gay sci-fi fiction Mm -hmm. Uh, the reason I uh, have brought this story up is because I think Chris is a very smart guy he's certainly a savvy businessman and he's a talented author. And I think um, the writers in our genre, uh, they would do well to pay attention to what Chris is doing. Because uh, I think it's certainly applicable to what um, some of the self-publishers in, uh, in our genre are doing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have, have brought him up on you know these two, two past episodes. Yeah. So yeah, I look forward to... Uh, Continuing to follow him along on his uh, lightning fast journey to (laughs) (laughs) publishing success. Exactly. Yeah. So we hit the road this week. On uh, Wednesday, we head out. uh, We are going to the Dream Spinner Author Conference in Orlando, Mm -hmm. which is coming up this Friday through Sunday. So that would actually be March. Fourth, fifth, and sixth. Yeah, as I focus on some calendar that's set, that's behind us. Um, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've always heard good things about this conference and what it teaches uh, authors. Um, if you're an author who's going to be there, track us down uh, while you're there because we're going to be recording some stuff for the podcast uh, that'll come out in the weeks following. So mm-hmm. we'd love to see people. We might even have some magnets to give out if you if you track us down. Because um, we do have a little show swag that we ha- will have with us. Yes. Uh, question of the week. We got a lot of responses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, last week when we had uh, Kindle, the Kindles on, uh, they wanted to know, as an author or a reader, do you use Kindle Unlimited? Do you like it and why? Yeah. And we did get a ton we got of a ton. Yeah. We tend, for those of you who, who don't follow the MM Romance group on Facebook, which is tied to the MM Romance group on Goodreads, mm-hmm. we tend to post the questions of the week there to widen the bulk of what we hear because the folks in that group have great opinions and great feedback. Yeah. And boy, did they speak up this week with some 40 responses uh, to the question. Uh, one of the ones we heard from was Serena Bowen, who is actually our guest coming up on next week's episode. Uh, she says that she does not use KU uh, as a reader, mostly because the books that she wants to read are not on there. And she doesn't like signing up for things that are on a rolling monthly basis. Um, also, since KU cut the payout to the authors again last month, there will be more authors pulling out. It's down more than 20% since last summer. I think right now the KU payout is 0.004 cents. Less than half a cent less, a page yeah, read. Yes. Less than half a cent a page read. And to give you an idea of the page reads, for those of you who don't uh, follow this stuff, I can tell you that my book, Flipping for Him, which is a 95-page paperback, counts as 153 Kindle pages. And so I get about 60 cents if you read the entire book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to put that into some math perspective. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting uh, from both the, the reader and the author point of view there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that some of Serena's books go in and out of KU because she does use it as an author. But obviously she you know, may reconsider... Um, as the twenty percent, as the as the reader, as the cut goes down. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nancy said that I don't subscribe to Kindle Unlimited. I've always bought books because I want to own them. I reread many of my books. I also buy books because I want to support authors. They need to be paid for their work. Years ago, I was looking for reviews of a new Jordan Castillo Price book, and I found that book on a BitTorrent site. I was appalled. I let her know and promptly bought the book. I also buy books and don't read them immediately, so KU would not work if I didn't read the book immediately. Yeah. So I think she brings up a a pretty valid point there, or something we should at least address. Um, When you buy uh, an e-book, you don't own them. Technically... What you are getting for your money is a digital license. That's true. To have that ebook on whatever device it ends up living on. You don't actually own them. Such as if you know if you walk into a bookstore and pick up a paperback and buy it, you own that physical object. And you can do whatever you want with that physical object in perpetuity mm-hmm. because you bought it. Um, that's not uh, precisely how digital downloads work. Um, in, in some cases, it is. It's hard with a Kindle book, for example. I can't take that Moby file that came from Amazon and give that file to sideload to their Kindle because mm-hmm. the Kindle's going to know that I bought it from Amazon on my account and that Kindle isn't on their account. Now, if you were to buy an EPUB from All Romance, let's say, mm-hmm. and you sideload it, you could theoretically 
you own that file and you could give that file wherever you, I could give it to you. I could give it to people that live across the street and it could go everywhere. So you own the digital file in that case, but certainly for Amazon books, it's more like you own a license because you can't just go, there's the ability to loan a book mm-hmm. through Amazon. If you own the, I think if you own the book, you can loan it for a set number of days, but it's a lot harder to own that Moby file. Because if for, if for some reason, I don't know what would happen, like if you ever closed your Amazon account, what would become of all the books that you owned? Well, you you, you would still have them, I assume. I don't know you, how the Kindle would let you read them, though, since the Kindle wouldn't actively be tied to an Amazon account anymore. You, I, I would assume you'd still have them because you still purchased that license. I would hope so. so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But And also, we did hear a number of people who don't subscribe to KU because they want to own at least the license for that book rather than a book that they have to give back or a book that could disappear if they if that book itself came out of KU. Yes, yeah, several several uh, people responded that um, uh, if they are using KU, they might read it and if they liked the book or they liked the author, they would then turn around and then buy the book because they wanted it in their, you know, permanent Kindle library mm-hmm. instead of the sort of like rotating lenders library that you have to uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for shoot return them and you rotate them and... the 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 lenders library you would end up having to curate when you're in Kindle yeah. Unlimited so. yeah because what I didn't know until we started doing this was you could only get you could only put ten books at a time into your curated mm-hmm. KU library yep yeah uh, so Le- Lee uh, said she loved KU. And here's why. KU took a long time to find its feet in the MM genre, but it's hitting its stride in a big way now. It used to almost all be short gay erotica of dubious quality, but now there's more than enough well-written bona fide MM and gay romance titles to make it worth considering. Um, and I think Kendall Alexander is a great example of that. Um, Lee also went on to point out that uh, while it could be difficult to find good stuff on KU in the, in the genre, there is the GLBTQ romance group Romance on KU group on Facebook, and there's also a KU MM romance group on Goodreads. We link to both of those uh, in Lee's uh, response on the show notes page. Uh, and members in those groups discuss what they're reading, ask for recommendations, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's a good place to go if you're curious what's on KU for the MM genre. Yeah. Okay. AJ said, do you know who this is? They mentioned they're an author. They are an author. Do you um, know who this is? I don't... I can't think of his name right now. Right okay. Off. Okay. But AJ's been great. He's he sent you movie recommendations on the podcast Facebook page. Oh, that's awesome. And also gave us a review on uh, iTunes. Thank you, AJ. You're super awesome. Thank you, AJ. Okay, AJ had this to say. As an author, I don't have my books in KU, and I don't plan to anytime soon. While the majority of my sales come from Amazon, I do have readers who find me on Nook, Kobo, and All Romance. I don't want to deprive them of my content. Plus, the royalties are higher for a normal book book sale versus a KU sale, uh, as well as a consistent rate. So, AJ brings up... uh, some valid points. Um, <clears throat> first of all, having your books uh, available uh, on all the stores is good for uh, good for your author business in the long run because more people can presumably find you. Mm-hmm. Now, while Amazon is the alpha dog when it comes to 
buying ebooks. They aren't the uh, they aren't the only sheriff in town. Is yeah. that the the what yeah, I'm trying to say? Kind of works. Yeah. So so <laughs> um, there are readers on those other platforms. It's not all about Kindle. So uh, I think he brings up a valid point there. I think. Any author who is in this for the long haul should really consider um, making sure that their um, all their books and the various properties are out there on the other platforms. Um, also, what he uh, had to say about um, the royalties are higher for a normal book sale versus a KU sale. This isn't necessarily true. Uh, there are several different factors in this, depending upon what you set your ebook price at, how long that book is, mm -hmm. and what the current uh, page read rate is uh, in Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. So, say you have a 500-page novel in KU, but you set the purchase price at $2.99. That would usually get you about $2 every time someone buys that 500-page book. Now, if someone um, gets that book through Kindle Unlimited and reads the entire thing, it's very possible that since it's 500 pages long, um, that you're going to end up getting more money from that Kindle Unlimited read versus uh, an outright sale. So... Um, there are a couple of different factors in that. For most people, yes, it is true that a buy is going to get you a better royalty than the a Kindle Unlimited um, uh, page read borrow. But you also have to understand that those are two different uh, two different people. Um, yeah. The the people who are the readers who are enrolled in Kindle Unlimited aren't necessarily the same people who are going to be buying your book. Mm -hmm. So because someone borrowed your book in Kindle Unlimited, that's not necessarily a lost sale. Do you does and, that well and it may actually turn into a sale, as we heard from several of the readers who Yeah, that's who true too. Discover authors on KU because they might be reading on a budget. They're mm -hmm. voracious readers who are on a budget and KU lets them get these books um, that you could have somebody who reads your book and either if they don't buy that book, they may buy ones that aren't in KU mm -hmm. or they may love that book enough that they go buy it. So that's in their permanent library. Yeah. Kindle Unlimited, I think, and we hear this on some of the other podcasts that we listen to as well, is a tactic to use. Yes. For a limited time or... For us, you know, as we talked about in the when we talked about flipping for you in a couple episodes ago, I'm in KU right now, seeing what it's like, mm -hmm. checking it's, it out. It's an experiment and an attempt to find other readers that you might not otherwise. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Rachel uh, is a reader and uses it. There are several authors I follow. I definitely follow that always post their books to KU, but I'll definitely go a couple weeks without getting anything. I figure. If I get at least three to five books a month, that pays for it right there, and I usually get more than that. If I like a book enough to keep it, then I'll go buy it. Mm -hmm. So there's there's one of those right yeah. there. Christina mentioned that my 2015, 2015 reading goal was to try a new genre. So I signed up for KU so I could take literary risks without hurting my budget. 
I ended up jumping into the queer genre and immediately found amazing authors. KU led me to Cora Knight. She led me to Brad Vance. Then I became a reviewer for queer-centric books, which is how I found Jeff Adams. And, And the rest, as they say, is history. So there you have it. Um, uh, KU is also uh, a good way to experiment uh, and kind of broaden your reading horizons, as they say, Mm -hmm. without trying, you know, without a huge financial hit. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And apparently another thing we found out through some of these is that if you're if you're if you keep an eye on KU, there are occasionally sign up sales where the price will drop. Uh, to bring people in. Yeah. Uh, you can see all of the responses we got to this question, uh, along with links were appropriate within those responses on the show notes page for this episode. Yeah. So thank you everyone who answered. It was a really lively and interesting uh, discussion. I certainly um, learned some things and uh, it was a lot of food for thought. Yeah, that it was. So we appreciate it. So at the top of the show, you mentioned that you had completed some projects, but Recently, or at least in the last couple of months, um, a writer's group has become part of your process. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Sure. Okay. So a group came together who were listening to uh, Matt Morris and Nancy Elliott's uh, Author Strong podcast. Mm-hmm. They'd done an episode sometime in the past where they were talking about writer's groups and the uses of the writer's groups and pros and cons of writers groups. And as a result, one of the podcast listeners put out a message on the podcast Facebook page saying, Hey, that was a good episode. Does anybody in this, you know, in this Facebook group want to start a writer's group online? Mm -hmm. And I was like, sure. Because it sounded like, from what I heard in the episode, it sounded like an interesting idea. What month was this, by the way? Oh, goodness. See, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I didn't go back. <laughs> was and, it the holidays around 2015, and, maybe? And sort that out. See, while we're on the air right now, I'll just top to Facebook and see if I could figure out when the genesis of that group was. Well, it's you the, could just lie and make something up. I know, but, you know, let's just go for reality since we're sitting in front of the computer. Anyway... Um, and our name kind of spun off from even part of the podcast. So we're called the writers of all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started around October ish. It looks like based on our mission statement that's sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started out as 10 of us who got together there. There is kind of a core group of four who always makes it. Yeah. Uh, which is myself, Brian, Aaron, and Chris. Uh, and we've recently added a friend of mine, uh, Elvis, joined our group as well because we had an opening. Uh, and he has joined in. It's an interesting group. I wasn't sure what to expect initially because, especially as we all formed together, we were looking at like what everybody writes. I am the outlier here uh, doing uh, gay romance and gay fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everybody else in the group is doing sci-fi mm-hmm. to one degree or another, some fantasy sci-fi sort of, of work. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis kind of splits the difference. And one of the reasons I thought he'd be good to bring into this group is because he's got a definite sci-fi angle that he pursues, but he's also working on uh, some MM stories yeah. as well uh, and self-published one last year. Uh, and it's been... 
a fascinating place to be. So in general... Now you guys, you meet online. Yeah. We, we Google Hangout every other week. Okay. Uh, we do it um, 2 o'clock Pacific time because we do spend time zones. Brian and I and Elvis are in California. Uh, Aaron's in Michigan. Okay. And then Chris is in Scotland. Really? <laughs> Um, and we've got a couple other members who show up periodically. I think one's in Texas. Okay. Uh, one actually knows Matt and Nancy and gets to go to like author strong events in that area. That's cool. Um, and the other, oh, I can't remember where Patches is at. Um, I, I want to say Florida, but that could be wrong. So we we found the time you know that kind of works across these various time zones that mm-hmm. we that we play in. We get together every two weeks on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, we go over our goals. Like, we have goals that we write down that are documented in this Google Doc. Okay. So we know what we're expecting to do in our writing for those coming couple weeks. Um, And then most of the time we go through um, stories that people submit. Stories or segments of stories. Um, There have been some short stories that we've looked at. There have been entire chapters that we've looked at from people. The group right now is being really great, and they're actually beta reading uh, Codename Winger for me. Okay. Uh, the group had previously seen uh, the prologue, chapter one, and the first chapter that has kind of an action sequence in it. Because mm-hmm. it's the action that um, I've never tried to write before. Right. And so I wanted more feedback than I would maybe normally get mm-hmm. on a chapter. Uh, but they were kind enough to decide that they would read the entire book for me. So that's you know a 60,000-word commitment Yeah. Um, that they're getting a full two weeks to do. Because sometimes these stories slip in. When we meet on Saturdays, it's great if we have all of our stories maybe by Thursday <laughs> to read. Does does everyone present something to the group every single week or every other week? Or is there a rotating... Um... It rotates. Okay. Um, it's like, you know, who's got stuff ready? Who's got stuff that's available? So it's casual to present. Um, people who, like, especially for me, because I've been putting in a lot lately for Winger. But yeah. if somebody, if I knew somebody had something and they hadn't presented it in a while, you know, I would hold back one of mine. Okay. But there were slots open, so I kept, you know, and and the group had the choice, you know, if we wanted to, if they had, if they had decided they didn't want to take on sixty k in two weeks. I would have been, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Here's another chapter that I'm really curious about, you know, as a separate side item. Uh, and we broke our mold a little bit uh, during NaNoWriMo that our two groups that met in November turned into uh, virtual writing sprints. So we got together, we did our little, you know, update on goals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we would do three 20-minute sprints. Okay. And at the end of the sprint, so like the Google the Google Hangout moves to the side and we go on mute and when it's time to come back, our timekeeper, you know, turns on his mic and says, okay, time. Okay. Uh, and then the goal from that was to read either the very last sentence that we wrote or the strangest sentence that we wrote in that 20 minutes. And it was fun because the group, were, were, there's a huge... I say huge, but it's interesting to see how fast people write. Mm -hmm. Me and one other guy were pretty much always in like that 6 to 650 range. One of them, I think it was Chris, who was often hitting 800 
in his 20s. And in a 20-minute sprint for me, 800 is like, wow, did I just really bolt through that sprint? Because mm-hmm. um, I'm usually in that 650 range. Uh, so it was fun to see how how that kind of stuff work. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed what it's done for my writing, and I've enjoyed like being able to read other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. It's proved to me that I still like reading sci-fi, too, which I haven't done much lately at all. Cool. Now, so, uh, the different members in the uh, group, are the, are any of them pros, or are they all like like you who have day jobs? Uh, most have day jobs. All have day jobs? Yeah. We've all got day jobs. Okay. Have any of them published? Yes. Okay. There is, uh, at least one other in the group who has published. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris is well on his way to getting a book out. I'd say he'll probably have his book out, I think, by the middle of the year. Okay. The the way that he's going, certainly within 2016, he'll have it out. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Elvis will definitely have work out again this year um and brian is on that path cool okay so yeah it's also kind of nice that there's people in different phases mm-hmm. um of or, where they are with their writing journey when you present work is it uh what is the critique process like for your group we get to to say what we want what we, what feedback we need okay so like for the winger action sequence, I was like, I really need to know how this holds together as like a, a car chase action mm-hmm. moment. Does it work? Um, how's the characterization? How's the pace? How's the flow? Is it too fast, too slow? Is it missing points? Mm-hmm. Um, we usually start with what we call the circle of love. <laughs> so, you know, what did you like in the Yeah, in the that's piece? important. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. And then we move on to like, you know, what it... What it needed. Mm-hmm. Where where did we think it was lacking? Okay. So, like, you know, for that particular winger scene, I had probably, like, a page, a, a, a legal pad page of notes. Both good and bad. And, and I say bad. It wasn't really bad. It was just, like... It's constructive criticism. It is. It's constructive criticism from folks who know what they're doing in the writing realm. Because okay. we've all read the same books. Like, we had a long discussion at the top of the... Of our meet last week about what Chris Fox was doing and his new book. Ah, okay. Because yeah, some yeah. of us had read it, some of us hadn't, and you know, kind of how we felt about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's it's a good group to be in, and it's nice to get, especially for me, because most of my betas are in this genre or readers of the genre. It's nice to get an outside critique on story and the 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 true nugget of the plot. From people who, and I, I, I know that you know the first time I had them read something because I had them also read a chapter out of Make the Right Choice, which was you know standard typical gay romance. Yeah, that um, they were like, we weren't sure we were going to like this, but <laughs> your dialogue and your characters kind of sold it for us, you know. And I would never give them, for example, I would never give them a hardcore chapter to read. You know, I'd never stick a sex scene in front of them, but for characters and general story. Mm-hmm. They're they're great sounding it's board. Good to have a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you think you'd ever do a writing group for yourself? <laughs> he laughs. I, I laugh evilly because you know how I critique your work. You really want to unleash me on 
some poor unsuspecting <laughs> group member. I I mean, okay, generally I play well with others, but I have super specific ideas of what I like and don't like in fiction. So, um I'm not I'm not sure our group would be uh particularly useful or I don't know. I might rub some people the wrong way. Unintentionally, of course. It's true. I would never critique something out of malice, but I might have very strong opinions about something that, you know, people might take the wrong way. It's true, because he does occasionally rub me the wrong way. The way that he... (laughs) His criticism can be correct, and the way he presents it is totally bad. Yeah, it's not... (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I, I've yeah. learned I've learned better over the years how to filter that out, and he's learned a little better how not to be that way. <laughs> I've gotten I yes I've gotten much nicer, and I uh, I understand the circle of love concept of uh, critiquing much much more than I did uh, a couple of years ago when when we were working on stuff together. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah me personally I'm not sure. But flipping it on the other side, do you think as a writer you would benefit from the critique in the circle? Maybe. I I think the caveat with that is is that I would have to... I feel like I would have to know that person and understand that person and respect that person before I took any of their critiques or viewpoints seriously. I mean, it can't just be someone I would know casually or, you know, some person off the street saying like, hey, do you want to beta read my story? I don't think I would necessarily give much weight to, you know, someone's opinion that, you know, I don't know or I don't know them Mm -hmm. and understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think... I think we started our group right, because I think our first meeting or two, if I remember, was just most about get to know you, where are you in your process, Yeah, yeah. I what think... do you read, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That, and so that, we got to... You all need to be on the same page, more or less. Yeah. You can be at different points in your career or, uh, you know, about learning about your own writing process, but I think you need to be, you know... Uh, you need to be on the same page. You need to kind of have the, uh, the same temperament is the word. I'm, I, I can't, that's that's actually that a good one, yeah, yeah. Because, and you got to at least want to read what most of the group's going to give you. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I had to make a choice early on. Like, do I want to be in a group that's mostly sci-fi writers? Right. And yeah. it's turned out to be really good. Because mm-hmm. I've enjoyed reading what they have. I can't wait to read some of the books that are coming from these folks. Yeah. Um, okay, Chris, I'm talking to you because I know yours is coming. Um, cool. Okay, it's a, it's been a good time, and and hopefully they've you know got a little glimpse of a genre that they don't play around in you know much at all. Right. Yeah. So, and they're good guys. I've actually been able one of my trips to LA because Brian lives in Pasadena. We got together for dinner, and so I've actually you know sat across a table from one of them. Cool. And of course, Elvis is a friend, so yes, we see him all the time anyway. Definitely. So, yeah. So, moving on from that, Mm -hmm. let's go to the question of the week, which has nothing to do with writer's groups, and it probably should (laughs) have. 
Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Well, we planned ahead because we, you know, we recorded Serena a while ago and she had to ask a question and, mm-hmm. you know, she had to answer a question. So what is the question of the so week? So the question this week is, as a reader, what's your favorite point of view and why? Hmm. And I know you have distinct point of view concepts, point do. of view ideas. Yes, I do. <laughs> I drive you crazy sometimes. Uh, yeah. Personally, I prefer um, third person. I prefer reading stories in third person, mainly um, because many, many years ago, I uh, took a workshop from Gotham Writers Workshop in New York City, and we all had to submit uh, pieces of fiction and critique them. And um, I read so much bad, really bad first person fiction during that class. It literally turned me off from that point of view forever. So, first person is not my favorite. That doesn't mean that I can't enjoy it when it's done well. And let's just say that the 90% of the stuff he reads for me is, in fact, first person. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, you you do it well, Thank for you. the most part. I do critique you and give you some changes every once in a yes, while. Yes, and those are good. But, I mean, there are certain things, like um, recently, of course, I just read Jordan uh, Naser's books, uh, those are both in the first person. I love those to death. Um, off the top of my head, the Hunger Game books are, of course, in first person, and I love those as well. So it's not that I can't enjoy them. It's just as a general rule, I don't enjoy first person, mm-hmm. and I prefer a, a more traditional third person narrative. How about you? I know that you love writing in first person. I do love writing in first person. Um, I like reading in first person. I think I'm more... I think I'm a lot less keyed into point of view when I read. Unless I'm reading specifically from a craft eye. If I'm just reading, unless the point of view screws me up somehow, mm-hmm. I'm probably not paying attention to it. Like you, and specifically with Jordan's books, yeah. you asked me while you were reading them about a point of view shift that he had. Because we wanted to ask him about it in his interview. Well, no. And I missed it completely that it shifted because well, I wasn't keyed into it. It wasn't a shift. I asked if Jordan purposefully chose to write in first person present tense because that's a pretty unique way of presenting a narrative. But he'd shifted in the second book. Sorry, that's why it was the shift. Because you yeah. asked about that and I'm like, are you sure? Because yeah. I was in the second book and I was pretty sure that it was first person past. Mm-hmm. And he'd shifted it, but my brain didn't click on it. Yeah. And like Serena Bowen... You were just reading for story. Serena That's and right. Elle did Him and Us in first person present. And she'll actually talk a little bit about that next week, because she never envisioned herself writing in that mm-hmm. uh, tense. Yeah. Um, but as long as it's done well, and it doesn't pull me out of the story because of the way it's handled, yeah. point of view doesn't really matter to me. I mean, like one of my favorite books ever is uh, Bright Light's Big City from Jay McInerney, and it's in second person. It'd drive you insane. (laughs) We this and we that, and you this and you that. Like, choose your own adventure. That's the classic second person narrative. And it's all very much, you do this, you do that, you're walking over here, you're meeting Tad at this place. Yeah. Yeah, it was was thrilling to read that kind of thing. I wrote one story like that in college, and it was... 
the group, the, the class didn't hate it, but it was like, that was interesting. Let's not do that again. <laughs> and it was that way for me too, as a writer, because yeah. that's, that's a lot of work to build that's that hard. world. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So what do you guys think? What's your point of view choice? Do you want the second person past? Do you want first person present? Do you want third person? What's it about for you? Yeah. Uh, you can leave us your answers on the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And remember, you can always suggest a question uh, if there's something you'd like um, our listeners to uh, answer. Yeah. 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 We're getting really good at getting answers. Uh, mm-hmm. Loved. I loved seeing 40 answers this week. Mm-hmm. So the question was pretty awesome. Yeah. So as we've alluded to a couple of times in this episode, Sarita Bowen's with us next week. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our USA Today. I think it's the first time we get to say USA Today best-selling author. So exciting. Which is kind of exciting. <laughs> um, We're fancy. <laughs> uh, Sarita and L. Kennedy are coming out uh, next week with their sequel to the book, Him, and it's called Us. And Sarita's here to talk about that, her writing process, and a whole lot of other fun stuff. So we're looking forward to that next week. Mm-hmm. Please tune in. And um, also, please remember that while you're um, leaving your answers to the question of the week, if you also happen to be on your favorite podcasting page or subscription service, you can always leave us a review. Um, reviews do help with uh, discoverability of the yes. show. So, yeah. Reviewing reviewing a podcast is just as important as reviewing a book. So, yes. Leave those stars. Follow AJ's example. Yes. We should all be as saintly and intelligent as AJ. Wait, what star did AJ give us? AJ gave us five stars on iTunes. Yes. <laughs> Highly intelligent AJ. Follow his lead, everybody. So, thank you, AJ. And uh, if anyone has a chance, please leave us a review. Yeah, in all seriousness, leave us a, if you could leave us a review, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So, we hope everybody has a good week, and we will see you back here next week. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. 